Christmas message this weekend. Thank you to everybody that was part of the Christmas musical last week. I just want to say, fantastic, guys. That was out of this world. Uh, I don't know if Leanne's still here. I know her voice isn't doing it, but thank you, Leanne. That was unbelievable. And Christmas tea earlier. I mean, so many great things, and, and I can't wait for Christmas Eve as we just sing carols and do the Christmas story. It's going to be awesome. But let's talk about the birth of Jesus and why he came in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to jump around the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got some um, places that you can put a, uh, or some piece of paper to hold your place, you can do that, but also get your sermon notes out. And Matthew chapter 1 begins the story of Jesus. And N.T. Wright, who's a leading bishop in the Anglican Church and a great theologian of our time, he said this in one of his books, if you ever, ever wondered why the New Testament is the most often bought and least often read book in our culture, you'll find the answer in the very first page. If you got it open, look at it. It says, Abraham begat Isaac, begat Jacob, begat Judah, begat Perez, begat Hezron, begat Aram, begat Amnimadad. And then he's asked this, how much of this can we stand? It is kind of a literature nightmare if you think about it, to start with the genealogy, to start with the family tree. It's like being invited to somebody's house and they pull out their home videos and they make you watch and you're like, oh, so you just stop reading, right? No, Matthew's got a reason for this. Matthew's telling a story and if you continue a little bit longer, you get to... King David in the story. And then you're like, ah, oh, it's a royal family. It's not, just a, it's not just this line of people. It's a royal family, Abraham. And now to King David, and we are intrigued with royal families, aren't we? The royal family trees. And if you don't think we are, uh, Leslie picked, I said, can you find a, a magazine with uh, Prince William and Kate on the cover? She's like, which one do you want? Because uh, they're all talking about the big wedding coming up, you know. And so we even like it because there's some type of intrigue with uh, royal families. And uh, so let's see what's going on because sometimes their dirt is a little bit of juicy gossip that we like to read about. And when you begin to read through this, there are some snippets that pious Jews would like to forget about in the story of Abraham through David on to Jesus, and there's four women in particular in this genealogy that nobody wants to remember. One is Tamar. I don't know if you know much about Tamar, and, and uh, if you ever read the Bible, there's parts of Bible, the Bible that are less like the Word of God and more like a Jerry Springer show when you read. And uh, this is, I remember the first time I read this as a little boy, reading through Genesis, and I thought, oh, I shouldn't be reading this. This is naughty. But I'll give you the PG version tonight. If you are so intrigued, you can go to Genesis 38 on your own and read it, but after some sexual shenanigans, and I just like saying that in a message, but um, there, she pretends to be a prostitute so that she can be impregnated by her father-in-law. And that's the first person in the line of Jesus, this royal family. And a very broken person, a very broken life, a very, actually a very sad story right there in the beginning. And then you move on to Rahab. Now, Rahab doesn't even have to pretend to be a prostitute because she is one. She's a pagan prostitute, and yet she is used by God to deliver Israel, and she makes her way into this family tree. And then there's Ruth. You can read about Ruth in the book of Ruth. It's, she's a foreigner, she's an outsider. Her family 
worships pagan gods, it tells us, and yet she becomes a part of this family. And last but not least, the woman everybody wants to forget is Bathsheba, who is a person in her story, gets uglier as it goes, but it starts with adultery, moves to deception, and ultimately murder. And you think, wow, top of the line people in Jesus' family tree. You know, you just begin to think, why are these people in it? Why are these people a part of what God was doing from the beginning of time until Jesus came? Why are they in His line? And, and Matthew's doing something here. And, and one thing is he's saying God can do anything. God can do anything. He can use anybody. He's the God of the impossible. And Matthew says... He came from broken people so that He could save broken people. So that's what Matthew's doing. He's saying, look, it wasn't pretty how it all happened, but Jesus came to save. And it's more more than just Jesus is a better person. As you go through Matthew, He lived a good life. Unlike these people, no, it's that Jesus is the King. That's what Matthew's trying to get across from the beginning page to the last page. Matthew 28, verse 20 All the way through, he's trying to say, Jesus is the King. And this entire book is a coronation anthem of Jesus saying, He is your King. From the beginning of His line of birth all the way till the end in His ascension, He is the King. Matthew chapter 1 is where we'll begin in verse 20. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for this child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two names for Jesus given in this passage of Scripture. First one is Jesus which is the New Testament version of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. In verse 21, we're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's saying he's going to deliver them from the enemy. He's going to deliver them from sin. He's going to deliver them from death. He is going to come as the king and he will die on the cross to deliver them from their sins and he will raise up from the dead so that we may be partakers not only in His death, but in His resurrection. And He will be King Jesus. He will save His people. He will come as their Savior. And He will also be the second name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's our King. And He's with us. And He's always with us. And when you look at the Jewish expectation of the time, those are the two threads that run through. They wanted that King to come so badly. They wanted that Messiah that would save them. And so He comes. And if you look at the very end, go from Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 28, if you could quickly. And in Matthew 28, in the final verses of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, He says, And Jesus came and told His disciples, I've been giving all, given all authority in heaven and on earth. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then if you go to the very last verse in Matthew 28, verse 20, He says, I am with you always that I am your King, and my kingdom is forever, and I am always with you. And you have the bookends of the Gospel of Matthew. It starts with Jesus, the Messiah King, is coming. He is the Emmanuel. He has come to be with us. 
but now He is King Jesus with all authority and all power, and He will be with us for all time. And Matthew introduces us to this King, and this is where we get into the nitty-gritty of what we're talking about. He gets us and shows us the King, and now it becomes a call to worship. Will you worship this King? Will you follow this King? Will you surrender to this King? The King who came and died on a cross for our sins. The King who promised to be with us forever. The King of the kingdom of the parables that we've been talking about. He is the King. And when there's a kingdom, listen to me, there can only be one King. There's only one person in charge. There's only one leader at a time. You may say there's more. No, there's one. There will always be one person in charge. There will always be one King. And is it Jesus for you? He's the King of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is King. And you can say, well, that's everywhere. But it, yeah, it's everywhere. But it, really, it's only where He's made King. And is He made King in your life? Because there's parts of this world that don't acknowledge Jesus. There, there's parts of there's people that don't acknowledge Even people that sit in church and, and come to church that don't acknowledge Him as King or follow Him as King. We've kind of messed this whole thing up because we call ourselves followers of Christ, which is true. It's a biblical word. The problem is when we think of followers, we think of somebody who tags along behind. That's not what the Greek word follower means. It means disciple. Which actually probably translated better into our understanding would be apprentice. That we would follow the king. That we would, we would be like our king. We would honor our king. We would submit to our king. We would surrender to our king and say, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Beginning with the, the, the line of David and, and that you will have a, a kingdom that there will be no end of and so we will surrender our life to you. We will serve you, King Jesus, with all that we are. We will bow our knee to you. And we better do it now because the Bible tells us every knee will confess. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. We know that's going to happen, but how are you going to respond to King Jesus? I want to ask you that tonight. How are you going to respond to King Jesus? Matthew takes all this time to say there is a King who has come to be with you, not just now, but forever. And He died on the cross for your sins and, and, and you must partake in His death and resurrection in order to have eternal life. And, and so we have to put our mind around this. I want to go to another chapter in Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And I want to look at a parable. We're kind of in a series on parable. I know we had a pause there for a while as I traveled and we had the musical and things. But, but another parable in Matthew chapter 21. Remember, a parable is a comparison. That's what the word literally means. A comparison. We put our life next to the, the, the parable, to the story. Jesus is telling we compare ourselves to the story as Jesus tries to teach us something very important in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. I'm going to pause it right there because in this story, the people that are invited don't come. In fact, some of the people kill the servants that tell them that there's a party. It's, a, it's kind of a long, drawn-out story, and it's very interesting, but I want to jump in at verse 11. They finally invite people to come. They get a group together, and they come. In verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot 
and throw them outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now I want to talk about that last statement for just a moment. In the Semitic languages of the time, when they said that many are called, they're actually using a word that would, would include everybody. That all are called. That this invitation isn't for a select few. The invitation to come to the banquet is for everybody. Everybody's invited. But only a few take him up on the invitation. But it's an interesting parable, and we have to ask ourselves, why? What is Jesus trying to teach us? How can we compare our lives to this parable? Because it says to go out and get the poor and bring him in, and this guy comes in, and he's not dressed very nice, and so he gets kicked out. How does that work? Maybe he didn't have money to buy the clothes. How? But you have to understand the time period. When you were invited to a wedding in Jesus' time, not only did you receive the invitation to come to the wedding, to come to the feast, to the party, but you were also given a pair of clothes to wear. There would probably be some type of robe, some type of garment that was provided by the family of the dinner. The father would have provided something for that person to wear, to come to the banquet, to be a part of the celebration. And, and he decided not to wear what the father gave him. He's just going to come in his own clothes. Now, I'm, I, don't, I haven't met anybody famous and, you know, or powerful or anything like that, so I don't know, but I've heard that when you meet a person in royalty that we talked about earlier, or, or, you, or you even meet the president or, or someone that's important, that there's protocol that you go through. That, you know, there, there's certain dress codes, if you will, and way, ways that you talk and how you address. And so there's protocol even to this day, and there was protocol back then, and you just don't come in dressed in your own clothes to the wedding that you've been invited to. What this parable is telling us is you don't come to God dressed in your own clothes, dressed in your own goodness, dressed in your own righteousness. You can't come in your own because you can't save yourself. Listen to me. There's only one king, and it's not you. There's only one person that can save, and you can't save yourself. And we need to surrender to Jesus. Who are you following this Christmas? Are you following your desires? Are you, are you so immature that all you think about is what you want? Are you following what the world tells you you have to do? Are you Following simple survival, we just got to get through this time. What are you following, or are you following Jesus? Because I don't know about you, I want to follow the King. I don't want to follow what people think I should do. I don't want to follow what I think I should do. I want to follow what Jesus would have me do. And there's a beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. It's messianic, it's prophetic, but I love this passage of Scripture, and it talks about this, that so we don't come clothed in our own righteousness to God. We come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. In Isaiah 61.10, it says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in His wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. Isn't that a beautiful statement? And I don't come dressed like I'm, this is how good I am, God. No, I'm coming in His robe of righteousness. And you know what's great is when I'm dressed in His robe of righteousness, it's something beautiful, it's something wonderful. 
It's the life that I was created for, the relationship I was created for. And that's why Jesus came. He came to be our King. He came to be our Deliverer. He came to be our Yahweh saves us. He came to be our Emmanuel, God with us. And when you're in other countries that have kings and queens, I love what they say, may the King live forever. Hallelujah. Amen. And I want to say that our King is ruling and reigning and living forever. And we need to surrender to Him. To get our hearts and minds around who King Jesus is, there's a there's a short presentation on the screen I want you to watch before we end with worship and prayer tonight. But Jesus is our King. And He came to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Bible says my King is the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings. And He's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's a sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is the teacher. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him. So yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Silence couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't have him, and the grave couldn't 
Hallelujah, Lord. That's our King. <laughs> the King that Matthew describes as coming. And I think it's so important for us just to, to be quiet and to pause at Christmas and remember that our King has come to save us. And He is with us, and He's with us forever. He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always. There will be people in life that leave, but He'll never leave. There will be people who promise things, but they don't come true. His promises are true. His salvation is real. And all He says is, follow me. Follow me. So I want us just in this moment of quietness to have a moment of surrender. A moment of saying, I will serve you, King, all the days of my life. Because there will be a second advent. And that's when he returns. There were so many that weren't ready for him the first time. And I pray that there won't be too many that aren't ready the next time. But there will be people that aren't ready. The Bible tells us that. But I want you to be ready. Tonight, as you're just quiet in your spirit, maybe you feel like those people in feel like those people in the in the genealogy and the family tree of Jesus, where you, you think, man, if if you only knew what I've done, or if you only knew the real me. I love that Matthew didn't leave those parts out. Because God loves broken people. That's why He came. And if we were honest, none of us are that put together anyway. There's only one perfect person that ever walked the face of this earth, and that's Jesus. So He doesn't call perfect people. He calls broken people. And God wants to not only save you, but use you for His plan. And that's part of surrendering to Jesus. It's not just surrendering to Him that He'll save you, but surrendering that you can follow Him and fulfill His call for your life. I want to pray with you, but I'm just going to give you a minute or two just quietly in the presence of the Lord to, to talk to Jesus our King who came to save and who is with you now and always. Spend a little time with him before I pray.
God, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you um, for your word. And, and God, I just want to declare that you are my king. And uh, Lord, it's not just me, but we all declare that tonight. That you are a king of kings and Lord of lords. And we, uh, we bow our knees. We confess that with our mouth freely, openly, with joy. That you are our Jesus, our Yahweh saves. God, I thank you for that. And God, I just pray that you would now usher us into your presence as never before in our life. And Lord, as we begin to think about the conclusion of one year into a new year, God, that we would be people that bow the knee to you, that surrender, that submit, that serve you, Jesus, with our whole life, with all that we are. Jesus, I thank you that you died and rose again that we may be partakers in the sacrifice for our sins, but also, Lord, in that new life that you give. I just feel led to do this, and I, I'm, I'm not sure why, and, and I don't know if someone is here or maybe you're listening on CD or on the Internet, but I just want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You just admit your need for him, that you're a sinner, and that you're going to repent from your sins. You're, you're willing to turn from your sins. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Jesus Christ is king of this world. And just invite him to come in and submit to him and allow him to control your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be your way anymore. It would be God's way. He'd make you a new creation in Him. And so I just want to give you that opportunity. And so I'm just going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. And, and again, I don't know who this is for, but uh, this is just you getting right with God tonight. This is you just saying, you know what? I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of listening to everyone else that there's only one king. And I'm going to, I'm going to submit to that king. And so would you just repeat this prayer of commitment tonight? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I just thank you for everyone that prayed that prayer. Lord, maybe for the very first time in their life, God, they've surrendered to you. Or maybe it's somebody that's walked with you many years, but they're saying once again, you are my king at Christmas. God, we honor you tonight. We love you. May this word find good ground in our heart. May we not go to you in our own goodness, but Lord, as the parable told us, may we come clothed in the righteousness, clothed in your salvation draped in that robe of righteousness, God. Adorn us with your beauty and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord, isn't it?